That is them trying to jack up my microphone so you can hear me. We'll get it balanced here in a minute. We had uh, fr- in the first service we had a uh, about thirty seconds of trying to get my mic figured out until they got it. So uh, I have not much of a voice today. Um, but when uh, if you were in Sunday school during the uh, presentation of our, the El Salvador and the Indonesia missions trips, we did this presentation during Sunday school hour in here. And Josh was asking people who went on those trips what they learned, what their takeaways were from those trips. And I wasn't, I went on both of those trips, but I wasn't communicating because I was trying to save my voice for the service. But I'm going to tell you what I learned when I was in El Salvador this last time. I was supposed to preach there, and um, I don't know Spanish enough to preach. Well, I don't know Spanish enough to do anything. Um, And uh, uh, when it was time to preach, I needed a translator. Still got a little bit of ring in there, um, Jim, if there's any way to bring it down. Um, so uh, I had uh, a translator, and I was worried about it because you guys know me. Normally, I, I preach with a lot of passion, and uh, and I, I just love to, to go after it in the Word. But I was thinking, I don't know how this is going to work with the translator because I can only say a few words at a time. And then he has to translate it for me. And uh, as I was praying about it, God just brought a scripture from Corinthians to my mind. And he said, we don't use wise words. We're persuasive speech. We preach Christ and him crucified. Keep it simple, son. I got it. You know, and uh, it was awesome. It was such a great time in El Salvador because while we didn't know what we were doing, most of the time we were there. This is true in Indonesia as well. Um, but when I, I felt so out of my element in El Salvador a number of times, and yet we saw a bunch of people come to Christ the first day we were there. We saw God do some pretty spectacular things in that worship service. We saw uh, time after time God doing great stuff, and none of it was out of our strength. It was all out of our weakness. And uh, and so uh, I just praise God this morning for a voice that doesn't work real well because it gives God a chance to shine, you know. And so I don't know how how passionately I can preach, or uh, you'll you'll feel it, but you won't hear it, and you'll probably be like, "Thank you, Tim." Will finally shut up, you know. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so we're we're excited about this series today. Um, this is about freedom in Christ, and you know, for some of us, uh, we have this problem. And the problem is that we don't want to dream about how awesome life can be according to the scriptures. You know, some people, when you talk to them about the supernatural, they don't want to hear about the supernatural. Or if you talk about the miraculous, people want to hold the miraculous at arm's length. Sometimes if you talk about how profound a human life can impact the world around it, people are a little bit hesitant to hear that. And the reason is because it's sometimes it's a whole lot more comfortable if we put a ceiling on the possibilities of our lives so that we can be a little more content with a lesser life. And we can console ourselves with the fact that, well, it doesn't work that way anymore, you know? And I've heard about, you know, how William Wilberforce 
brought slavery to its knees by the power of God. And I heard how Peter and John stood at the temple gates and said, money and gold, we don't, silver and gold, we don't have. But what we do have, we give to you in the name of the Lord, rise up and walk. And we hear about people who hung as martyrs, burned for Christ and sung in the midst, sung praises while being burned at the stake. And we hear about these amazing stories. And yet there's part of us that wants to hold that stuff at arm's length because it seems like, man, that just can't be me, you know, and I don't know if I can attain to that. And so I'd rather think that it's not possible for me. So I'm not disappointed by the failure of my life or by the absence of those things in my life. And so it's easier to, to just not believe in it or not want to talk about it or not acknowledge the reality of those possibilities. And what we call that in the scriptures is doubt. That's what we call it. That's when, who's the, who's the famous doubter in the scriptures? Thomas. And what does he say? He's like, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch it. You know, I got to touch it. Why doesn't he want to believe? Because he doesn't want his heart broken when he starts to believe that his, his savior is alive. And then he finds out he's not, he's putting it out there. He doesn't want to put it out there, you know? And when it comes to life, the way we're called to live it, you know, the scriptures talk about life that is free in God that has the power of God, that can overcome sin, that can live in constant communion with God, practicing the presence of God and living a full and rich life of purpose and meaning, full of the power and the inheritance of a child of God. But lots of times we kind of want to like be like, ah, I don't know about all that because, you know, it's painful to believe in it and then not see it. And that's doubt. On the other hand, some of us have something else. It's not doubt. You've heard the phrase that someone's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Have you heard that phrase? That means that your, your head's in the clouds, you know, and you're always thinking about the way things should be. You're an idealist thinking about the way things should be, but, but you're like not able to engage life that's right in front of you. You know, and this is a problem. If it's, if, if, if the faith that we have in God is only an idealistic faith that says things should be this way, and if they were that way, then things would work out, we can get a critical tone and say, well, if people were acting this way, or if the church was doing this, or if things were acting the way they were supposed to, and people were acting the way they're supposed to, it'd be all right. When in front of me, right in front of me, today at work and today with my family, I have the ability to use the power of God to love this person next to me. And that all of that idealism should translate into something very simple, that I should be able to love the person in the cubicle next to me. And I should be able to actually care for my kid when they're driving me nuts, you know? And that's the power of God at work in my life. And so sometimes we can have a critical tone and an idealistic tone, or on the other hand, we can just have complete doubt and cut off the possibilities of what's actually available in my life. And and much above and beyond all of that is a, a believer who says, I believe in the power and the presence of the living God, and I believe that it's available today when I get dirt under my fingernails. Because I'm with God in the soil of his kingdom. And in the process of that, I'm going to experience God today. And I believe that I'm not going to get through this day without finding Jesus again. 
And I'm not going to get through this day without seeing him work in someone's life around me again today. Because I believe in the power of God and I believe that it's not lofty, that it's a reality. And that's the life that God wants for each of us. And it's what he wants for us as a church together. And it's what he wants for his kingdom in this area. And so this sermon series called Free is about life as it's meant to be. If you were here a few weeks ago, we had a worship Sunday and this cross here was sitting right in the middle and it didn't have any chains on it. And it was sitting right here in the middle. And what we we did was, is we said, we're like hot air balloons that are meant to float on the winds of God and move with God wherever he takes us. But in the controls of our lives, we have ropes that are tied from that hot air balloon that have weights on the bottom of them, and that's our baggage. And what we're asking is for God to come and cut the ropes and set us free. And we asked anyone who was here to to go and receive prayer, and we had different places to receive prayer. And we said, we just pray to like let that stuff go, and then we'll take whatever our burdens are, whatever our weights are, and we're going to pin them on that cross, and we pinned them on that cross. We said, God, take them. So what we're doing the rest of this summer is now one by one, we're going down through a list of a whole bunch of stuff that holds us back, bondage that holds us, that keeps us from experiencing life as it's meant to be. And week by week throughout the summer, we're going to talk about what the lie is around that bondage, where we, where we listen to the lies that keep us held and bound. And then what we really need to do, we're not, who cares about discussing the lie unless we're discussing the truth that overcomes that lie. Because if for every, for every lie, there's a truth and, and the, the enemy is not very creative. He's not coming up with his own stuff. What he does is he takes the truth of God and he distorts it. And so we need to find what the truth is in the scriptures because what the scriptures tell us is you will know the truth and the truth will set you Free. You want to be free? I want to be free. I want us together to be free. I've known that, uh, I, I mean, I've noticed that in uh, 2014, we're getting a little more free in worship. We're getting a little more free this year in worship. It's growing in us as a community where people are, are uh, feeling a little more free to just sing to God. You know, to sing. It's a good thing to sing to God. The scriptures tell us to sing to God, to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And something happens in our hearts when we sing. And as a congregation, we're feeling more free to sing. And it's an awesome thing. That's because God's setting us free from any lies that would keep us from singing. You know. So uh, what we're going to do, um, each, each week, you're going to be looking at um, a, a sheet of paper. You have a sheet of paper in your, that was given to you here. And you'll see um, this sheet of paper is the takeaways and um, it's kind of for taking notes, and it's an outline that you'll go through um, each each week. And um, the the format of this sheet will be the same every week. The only thing that you'll see different is the first two lines, where it says free colon, and then whatever it says there, it won't always say the Holy Spirit life. It'll it'll also say like the gracious life 
or the purpose-filled life or whatever, you know, the kind of life that God intends for us. And then underneath of that where it says breaking off, the next part where it's italics there will be different each week. So this week it says breaking off demonic deception because that's underlying all the stuff. But but each week it'll say something like breaking off materialism or breaking off anxiety or breaking off fear or, you know, those kinds of things. And it'll change each week. And then what we'll do is we'll go down and, and, and we'll talk about what the lie is under each of those things in the scripture that supports that, the truth that overcomes that and breaks that off of our lives, and then how our lives would look different if we lived our lives based on that truth. And then each week there's going to be a challenge where we say, because of that truth, how do we, um, what's the challenge for us to walk out that truth? And then a prayer that you can write and say, God, this is what I need you to do in my life in order to set me free from this. There's a place to take notes. And you'll notice at the bottom of that, there's an invitation for you. If you have a story of how God's moving in your life and setting you free, we want to hear the story. Um, and, and we want to talk about that story and, and hear um, about what God's doing. Because this sermon series... Um, some sermon series are just about teaching. They're about trying to form our doctrine. And, and that's good, you know. But this sermon series is not meant to be one that just changes the way we think about the Bible. The whole point of this sermon series is to actually set us free. Not to talk about freedom, but to actually set us free. Okay, and so if we get to the end of this sermon series and everyone was like, Dude, that was a rocking sermon series. Like, I learned so much stuff. It was awesome. And we experienced it. It was great. That's not enough. What we need is the story at the end of the summer that says, man, Satan had my life gripped like this in this area of my life. And I was not free to move with God and see the power of God working in my life and family. But by the end of this summer, man, we, we didn't just hear about these. We didn't just hear these messages and teach these messages. We got set free. That's what we need. That's what we need. That's the point of preaching. Teaching forms our mind, but preaching, the whole point is there's impartation where the power of God busts stuff in our life and sets us free. And so what's really important, and we're told this in the scriptures, what's super important is that we encourage one another with the stories of God's grace. And so as God sets you free from stuff, there's an email address down there, uh, Christina Hostetter. Just email her the story and let her know because then she's going to give it to us as the pastors. And and, and we got to talk about the story and hear the stories of how God's setting us free so we can, again, quantify. Man, one of the things Josh said in the worship workouts, that important piece of remembering what God's done. One of the most underrated disciplines in the scriptures is that of remembrance of when God does something and he sets me free to stand up in front of everyone else and say, look what God did. That's what in, in come now found of every blessing that him, it says, here I raise my Ebenezer. And that's the stone of remembrance where we raise up the rock of remembrance. And we say, remember, every time you see this rock, remember how God set us free. Remember how he took us across the Jordan River, how he gave us the promised land. Remember, remember, remember. So next time when you're staring the enemy in the eyes, you're going to say, remember what he did back there? Shut up because you got nothing on me. God is going to conquer in my life. We gotta remember. So tell the stories about how God's setting you free so that we can share them with one another and encourage each other in the faith, okay?
Now, as we move into it, um, for the for the uh, remainder of our time this morning, I want to just do the introduction of this sermon series. In other words, each one of those lies and forms of bondage, there's an underlying form of bondage that builds the platform for all the other stuff. Okay? Um, and that's the way it works. There's kind of rank and file in the spiritual world and in our struggles. And we're going to talk about that today. So I want you to join me in prayer, and then we're just going to take a couple minutes to introduce that. God, we believe that right here and right now you are alive and you are well, and there is nothing and no one that can hold you back, and that we can grant you access into our lives, and to the extent that we grant you access into our lives, you're going to fill up these clay pots, and you're going to move with power, and you're going to use us humble, broken vessels to transform your world, not with human wisdom, not with strategies, not with cheap tricks of the church, but we're going to see you move and grab a hold of people. We come with Christ and him crucified with a demonstration of the power of God who can change a heart, who can write the laws on a person's heart and change the deepest desires of a person to desire you instead of desiring evil. And we believe that's available for us today. Come, God, wash us with the water of your word and set us free. Allow my voice to hold up just enough for you to do whatever it is that you want today and not too much that it gets beyond what you want. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um... Do you believe that there are demons? Um, if, if we believe in the Bible, it's hard to not believe that there's demons because the Bible talks about demons. When you discuss the demonic with someone, um, it's, it's a, a, sometimes um, I've heard the phrase, you know, I'm not one of those people who believes that there's a demon behind every door, but I do believe in the demon, that there's demonic, you know. Um, well, I... I, I when you read um, how Christ ain't builds the kingdom of God, when he sends the apostles out, or he sends the 72 out, remember he gathers the, the people together and he gives them, he anoints them with power and sends them out and he tells them to go and preach the kingdom of God. And when he does, this is what he tells them to do. Heal the sick and cast out the demons. That's what he says. In other words, there's hurts and wounds in people's lives that are keeping them from engaging God. Heal that stuff. And then there's lies in their life. Break it off. Break off the lies. Get rid of the baggage. Let them connect with me. Set them free. And it's a central part of building the kingdom of God is having to deal with the demonic. Do you think that the demons um, mess with Christian, can mess with Christians? I think demons can mess with Christians. Here's the thing. Is that um, <clears throat> anybody ever read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? It's spectacular. And if you haven't, um, you can get it on audiobook if you're not much of a reader. Josh was talking about um, this morning in the worship workouts that we should be reading every day. If you don't read, I don't, like, I believe in reading. It's a good thing. But, like, audio books are fine, too. Get the Bible on audio. You know, it's on. It's free on your phone, you version on your phone. Just listen to it, whatever. This book... Um, screw tape letters, if you remember what it is, is there's this one demon who's trying to torment a Christian and he's being mentored by a, a greater demon on how to mess 
with Christians. And it's the whole point. And the, you see this played out in the scriptures. So turn with me to Ephesians 6. You know this passage, but I'm going to have you look at it for a second. <clears throat> Verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Man, how about it? Strong in the Lord. No mamby pamby pansy faith. None of that. When God calls us to faith, he calls us to walk in it with strength. We are the children of God. We are not the poor Christians beat up on by our society. We're the sons and daughters of the living God. Hold on to it. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Who's Paul talking to? Christians or non-Christians right now? Christians. Who's the devil scheming against? Of course, he's, de- he's scheming again. Of course, the primary attack of the enemy is against true believers. Why? Because we're the enemy. You know, his enemy is God and we're the people of God. And so his wars with us, his beef isn't with anyone who's following after him and his ways. He's got them all hooked up. You know, what he's trying to do right now is to war against us. So verse 12 starts to describe it. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, this isn't Star Wars, and this isn't some uh, Transformers fantasy thing. This is the Bible telling us the reality of our lives, is that there are cosmic powers in this present dark age that wield around and mess with our heads. Okay? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand firm. And this is what this series is going to be about. It's about what's the truth, what's the armor that we have, and then also what's the weapon that we have. Because we don't only play defense, we also play offense. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are for defense. And he's like, Peter, you're going to pound down the gates of hell. Because I'm going to give you this, the truth that you need. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. I have a sore throat today. I do not by any means think that that sore throat is only physical. We're kicking off a freedom series We're talking about the demonic today. And I'm coming to preach truth. And the truth is to set us free. And it's trying to steal my voice today. But while we were here in in Sunday school, uh, during this time, George Ann came over and she said, don't mind me while this is going on. I'm just going to be praying for you. And for about 20 minutes, she had her hand on my back and she's sitting there praying for the power of God to be moving. I, I, you know, because there is a truth that needs to be preached today and the enemy doesn't want that to be preached. 
And I don't really care what the enemy wants. Because all we care about is what God wants. And whatever God wants, God gets. Particularly when his children decide to give it to him graciously. It flows wonderfully. And so this is what God says here when Paul's talking to a different church. And this place was so rich with warfare in Corinth. It was insane. So verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. So whatever our human wisdom is, whatever our human strength is, all that stuff, that's not going to get us anywhere in this war, in the primary war of our lives. Verse 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Man, we're talking about like, you know, like in Star Wars or one of these, there's like laser guns and stuff. Like you don't bring a bullet to a laser gun fight. Okay. And you don't bring a human brain and willpower to a fight against the enemy. You bring the power of God. That's what you bring. And this is what it says that we have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what are strongholds? They're the encampments of the enemy, the lies of the enemy that are set up, that are just so deeply believed at this point in culture that it's like no one's even questioning them. They're just lies that there's walls built around and they're like foundational truths, except they're not truths, they're lies. They're strongholds in my brain, strongholds in our family, strongholds of bitterness, strongholds of rage, strongholds of materialism, strongholds of fear and anxiety, strongholds of all this junk in our world that sets itself up. This is what it says right here. This is what, um, our job is to destroy those strongholds. It's We don't just defend against them. We destroy them. Our job, salt and light. We are called to be salt and light, to preserve society, to take the weapons of God and to bust down the lies in our society. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. Is there any lofty opinions in our society raised up against the knowledge of God? I mean, it's insane right now how many opinions. It's it's bizarre if you watch entertainment at all. Just the crazy amount of agenda. Mike, you and I were just talking about this last night and about how much agenda there is right now. Disproportionate agenda in entertainment in order to push forward a different kind of thought process. When you go to college right now, it's amazing how strong the philosophies are that are trying to be taught that, that move in such a way. How would we live life if God did not exist? And most of the time, you know, if you have a philosophical debate in, in, in philosophy class in, in college, you got to lock and load. But much more subtle, of course, is the day in, day out things that the enemy tries to teach me about. I got to take care of this and I got to take care of that and I got to do this because it's all on me. That's a lofty opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Because if I believed that Christ was alive and with me, I wouldn't think it was all on me and I'd be submitting to him instead of just running my own show. Okay? And so my job is to demolish that stronghold in my own life and in my own family by living differently. And I've been given divine power to do that. So it says then to take, and we take every thought captive. Why? To obey Christ. 
That's the whole point. The whole point is Christ above us. Christ below us, Christ in front of us, Christ behind us, Christ within us. I want to follow Christ. We are a people. We say a Parker Ford Church. We are a people following Christ. That's what we are. And so every place where we bash off strongholds, where we rip off chains, it's so we can follow Jesus. Now, this is what the enemy wants to do. There's two things that the enemy wants to do. In John 10.10, um, Jesus outlines for us exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to, he says, um, oh, there it is. I was going to have you quote it, but there's the cheat. We, our guys are so good in the back. I can't, I, they, I can't get in front of them. The thief comes, why? Only to steal and kill and destroy. What does the thief want to steal from us? Our love, our joy, our peace, our patience, our kindness, our goodness, our gentleness, our faithfulness, and our self-control. The fruits of the Spirit. We just read in Galatians 5, there's two different ways to live life. There's life that follows the flesh, which is the, the whisperings. Behind every one of those lies is a demonic deception. And when it does, um, it, what he does is he steals the joy from our life. He steals the peace from our life. He steals the ability for us to love others because we're so self-consumed with ourselves. And he wants to kill us. See, there's this, um, I heard someone talking about this once, um, about our misconceptions of the enemy. You know, when my, when my brother, um, my brother's a few years older than me, and when we were kids, we used to fight, man, and, uh, and my brother's one of my closest friends in the world right now, but you wouldn't have known it when we were kids. I used to throw ratchets at his head and whatever I could to try to hurt him, man, because I hated him because he was, he, he could take me anytime he wanted to and that just made me mad. And he would hold me down and, um, I remember like him rubbing my face in the dirt and stuff like this, but there was always like the relief valve at some point, you know, where it's like, if you scream loud enough and mom and dad hear, then things bust up. Or if you cry enough, you know, hopefully he's not going to go straight Cain on me like Cain and Abel, but at some point he's going to let up when he realizes he's actually going too far, you know, and usually that's the way. But sometimes when we think of the enemy, we think of the enemy like a mean big brother who's like needling us, who's throttling us, who's disrupting our life. But then when it really comes down to it, he's going to let up. And that is the biggest lie. Dude, he will not let up. Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, serial killers. Yeah, how do they get that level of evil? Because there's one who's far more evil who's whispering into their ear. And what the enemy tries to do to our lives is he tries to nickel and dime us. This is what it's called in the, in the, the word in the Bible is called pilfer. He tries to pilfer us, which means he tries to knock a little bit off our life here and make this difficult. And then he comes over here and he has this thing happen at work. And then you come home and this thing, and then all of a sudden this breaks down and I got to pay for that. And then this person cuts me off in the road and he's pilfering me. He's pilfering me. He's nickel and diming me. And my life, so the next thing you know, I'm not depending on God and receiving joy and peace in my life. Instead, the circumstances are starting to get to me and I'm starting to get frustrated and I'm not listening to the voice of God anymore. He's pilfering me and he's loosening me up. And what he wants to do is get me so soft enough in my faith that when he has the chance and when I'm weak enough, he wants to cut my throat. And that's what the enemy wants to do. And the way he always does it is he starts with these simple little things that are self-indulgent and they seem like they're going to be awesome. They seem like a shortcut. 
He always deceives us into thinking a shortcut. God promises us abundant life. This says, Jesus says that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And that's what we're supposed to have is the abundant life. But the enemy always offers us a shortcut. When he went and tempted Jesus, he said, you're going to have everything right here. You just need to bow down and worship me. Well, Jesus was already going to have everything. It was just offering him a shortcut. And he said, well, everyone's going to know that you're the son of God if you jump off the temple and my angels will catch you. Well, everyone now, in general, I mean, like the whole world knows about Jesus more than anyone else who ever lived. And 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 that's because he submitted to his father instead of listening and getting people who were watching at the temple, a few people to be like, wow, you're amazing. Who cares? It would have come and gone. You know, he offers a shortcut, but in the end, it doesn't actually get us there. It's just a distraction. And that's what he always does. So if, if, uh, if there's something in my life and he's whispering like, this would be fun. Or like, just hold this against this person. It'll feel good for a minute. Or just go and buy this thing. It'll get you happiness for a minute. You know, it's always this shortcut and this deception. And when I go, it just feels kind of like a mischievous little fun thing. You know, and we're just kids having fun. No big deal. Next thing you know, it's a torture chamber. Next thing you know, that thing's got a hold of us and it's the grip of death on our life. And it's keeping us from living the fullness. What we thought was a shortcut to the end ended up taking us the other way. Enemy always does this. Two objectives. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he wants to separate us from God and separate us from one another. That's what he wants to do. He wants to say, look at the Garden of Eden. So um, I want to have you, um, let's bring up the slide. Everybody get your sheet out. And Jim, we can go to the first one here. So what's the lie under um, this form of bondage? And by this form of bondage, I mean demonic deception. Because this is... Our lives are, are um, affected by demonic deception all the time that we sin. The point is, sin is what separates us from God. It's when we turn away from God. And all of that stuff is because we've been tempted, just like in the Garden of Eden when Satan is sitting there whispering into their ear. In the same way, we're always tempted. by What we wrestle against is not flesh and blood. This, these, are, these aren't just random thoughts or random desires. These are temptations that are put there by the demonic to get us to believe something false. And if we do, we're, 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 uh, we submit to ourselves instead of to God or to the enemy. And so the lie under, under every form of deception of the enemy is self-reliance. It's usurping God and being independent from God. And that's the Garden of Eden is the scripture there that you have. That's, um, of course, what the, what the, is going to be the model for how demonic deception happens is how it initially happened with the enemy. When he took Eve, who was God spoke to Adam how things were supposed to be, and then Adam tells Eve how things are supposed to be, presumably, and then the enemy comes over and he says to Eve, what did God say? She relays to him what Adam told her God said, and the enemy's like, really? In essence, like, do you trust Adam that he heard God right? Because I don't know if God said you would surely die, you know? And if you taste this, it'll be good. And so she could see that it was good. Yeah, this is going to be good for me. And I'll have the knowledge like God. 
So I can live independently and I can serve myself like I can be like God, which is the initial sin of Satan himself up in heaven, Lucifer, when he tries to become like God. Okay. And so this is always the underlying thing. This week we have um, on Friday, it's uh, 4th of July, which is Independence Day. We, we're celebrating independence. What are we independent from? What are we celebrating 4th of July? What are we independent from? The British. Okay. Anybody following the World Cup? I'm really glad that we're independent of England. They have the British Premier League. They're the best players in the world, and they still can't make it to the second round. But we did. What? (laughs) Um, So we're independent from the British. However, in America, independence has become a thought that we're independent from everyone and anything. You don't tell me what to do. Come on, man. We're humans. We don't have a clue. God created us. We can't be independent. We are created and worshipful beings who only function when we're in obedience and in a place of worship, which is the truth. Okay, so let's hear the truth. Let's see the truth. The truth that breaks this form of bondage is God dependence, trust. Okay, and so we trust the Father and the Designer. That's first Colossians one is that all things exist by Him and for Him, and all things are held together for Him. Now listen, one of the base, and we'll talk about this later in the series. But one of the basic ways you see this, okay, is this cross here. If I'm separate from God because of the Garden of Eden and I got separated from God, my initial reaction is to start trying to do things that are righteous. To make me feel better, like Cain making the sacrifice and being mad that he couldn't make the right sacrifice. But if I trust the living God, then what he's saying is, is he is my righteousness. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so I find my goodness and my righteousness in the cross, not in my own works. Okay? But right here, this cross, it's the gospel and And we are not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. But every time that we believe a lie, even though the gospel's a reality, the chains of those lies keep the gospel from being fully powerful in my life. Okay, and so it starts with us depending on God. Next is how our lives would be different if we walked in that truth. So go ahead and put that up there, please, Jim. How would my life look different? First of all, if, if everything was about God, then the initial desire of my life, the central desire of my life would be completely and totally to know God. That would be it. That would be the central desire of my life. Not to succeed, not to provide for my family, not to protect myself. None of that. Primary desire of my life, central desire would be the pursuit of God. That's it. That's the primary desire of my life, central desire of my life. Prayer and word would be foundation. If God is the one who calls the shots and my life is best lived in submission to him and he's revealed himself through the word of God, then it is completely and totally irrational for me to think that the basic truth is that of God dependence and yet I would go a day of my life without being in communication with God and reading his word that's going to guide me. That's an uh, an irrational thought. I can't say that I am a God-dependent person and that's the basic foundation of my life and yet I don't believe in prayer and word as being that big of a deal. (laughs) That's the way that I know God, okay? I would be consumed with his mission rather than my own. 
Because I'd understand my mission gets me nowhere. I'm created to move in his mission. That's where I find life. So when I go to work, I wouldn't be thinking just in terms of how do I get, uh, you know, the, the bottom line to come up here. But what I would be thinking as I went to work is how, God, do you want me to build the kingdom of God in this place today? All right. Even basic tasks would be done in partnership with God. Anybody remember the Gibeonite deception when Joshua where they got into the promised land and they weren't supposed to form treaties with the people around them. And these people showed up from really far away and they, well, they said they were from really far away. They dressed up in dusty clothes, tore their clothes, made their bread all moldy. And then they came to them and they said, we've traveled from distant lands because we've heard how powerful your God is and we want to form a treaty with you. And Joshua's like, okay, cool. So he signs the treaty with them only to find out they were the next door neighbors who he wasn't supposed to form a treaty with. See, we got to understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood and the enemy is constantly trying to deceive me. And unless I'm in communion with God, I will be deceived. It's not just easy, right and wrong. I got to live morally. I got to live in communion with God so that he can lead me. So even the basic things of my life, I, I begin to do in partnership with God. I, I, I've known people who have turned down great job offers in their life because they just sensed that God didn't want them to do it. And then it turns out that God just blessed their life in phenomenal ways for the kingdom in this place that they stayed because they let go of that other. Actually, that's happened to me before. I had a dream job, man. In European Christian mission, asked me to go over to Ireland, hang out in the pubs, play soccer, and go surfing in Ireland. That is my dream job right there. So I could like help talk with guys who were unreachable. I'm like, that's my dream job. And Jen and I prayed about it and it wasn't what God had for us, you know? And I think you'd agree. It wasn't what God has for us, you know? Because God had Park Ford Church for us, you know? So anyway, there would be no limit to what I believe possible. When I live as if I'm self-reliant, then my resources, my bank account, my talents are what I have to work with. When I believe that I'm God-dependent, then I have the riches of heaven to work with and I have the divine power of God to work with, which means I'm not intimidated by anything that God puts in front of me. We're going we're gonna to kick butt with it. And then lastly, I wouldn't feel the need to prove myself or compete with others. I wouldn't need to protect myself or, or provide for myself. All I have to do is follow God and he's got it. He's already got my validation and all of that. Okay. Okay, the um, challenge of the week is this, is that this week you're going to start every day. We've got to start every day taking whatever our concerns are, whatever our needs are, whatever we're, our tasks are in front of us, whatever our stuff is, and we're going to lay it in front of God, preferably write it down, and then sh- say, God, this is what I want with my life. This is what I'm concerned about in my life. This is what I think I have to do today with my life. All this stuff I'm putting in front of you, this is from my perspective, but I need your perspective. Then I'm going to open up the word of God and I'm going to pray and I'm going to say, God, lead me, give me direction. I'm going to use my imagination as I'm praying and say, God, just help me to picture how you would have me do this. And I'm going to play game play my day out and say, God, how would you have me engage this? I want to imagine this from a biblical point of view and allow you to guide me through this and we're going to expect that God communicates with us because his sheep know his voice and he can communicate with them all right now what you want to pray and the notes you want to take that's on you but if you have any stories about how God moves in you 
then you got to tell it. My voice is about to give out and it's time to be done. I'm going to end with saying one story, okay? You got to hear this story. This is it. Thursday, there was a few of us. Wow, that just got better quick. <clears throat> God wants me to tell this story. Thursday, um, a few of us on Thursday mornings go and pray at Operation Backpack. And we pray over Pottstown and everything. And um, we were praying on Thursday and I had this, I was imagining something while we were praying and I couldn't figure out why I was imagining it. But <clears throat> it was this picture, kind of an aerial view of Pottstown. And um, there was all these houses and there's the sidewalks and the streets. But in the front yards of the houses were these trees. And there were strong trees. And as the sun came up, the trees' branches moved with the sun. And as the sun started to move, eventually the trees themselves wanted to follow the sun. And so the roots started to move through the dirt. But as they moved through the dirt, they were pulling up the sidewalk and making a mess. You know, the sidewalk was cracking and the streets were cracking and all of this. And it was kind of making a mess. But as the sun would move around the sky, the trees would like, they were like raising their hands like in worship and like dancing with the sun wherever it was going. And all the man-made structures were just getting torn up. And I was like, why am I imagining this? And this is it. This is it. We are called to live a life full of the Holy Spirit. Like those balloons we talked about in Worship Sunday where we float with Him. Wherever God leads us, we are His sheep and we can hear His voice through the Scriptures and through His leading, leading us via the Spirit. And if we will learn to get in tune with God and be dependent on God, He will lead us in such a way that the structures of our lives, our calendars, our streets, our sidewalks, all of our the numbers on our bank accounts, all of those things, they are not the parameters of our lives. There is no parameters. We are free. There is no chains. We are free. Where God leads, we will follow and He will provide. He will always provide. And when I put structures in my life to protect me and to control my life, it's okay to be organized. It's okay to be faithful stewards of the thing that God has given us. But remember this, man was not created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man. In other words, the laws and the organization of my life, I'm not a servant to it. It's a servant to me. And when God moves me, I will follow regardless of any of the structures around. I will follow God, He's setting me free from anything that has bound me before. There is nothing that will hold me. No chain on my neck. He will break the bondage and the lies of the enemy. And no matter what my past has said, my future doesn't have to say the same thing. And no matter what life looked like back there for our church or for our family, it's going to look different in front of us because God is as powerful today as He's always been. And any theology that tells me that he is chained or in a box or in some previous dispensation is alive from the enemy. He will wreak havoc on the enemy in my life today and he will set me free so that I can live in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control no matter what the circumstances are of my life. I will be free as I am like that tree who will move wherever God leads. He will set us as a church free. 
to be what it is that we say we are, a people following Christ. Amen? Let's pray.